Explore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 23, Travel Cameos, 6th to the 14th of September, 1977, Turkey, Iran. See that snow-capped mountain over there? Well, that's Mount Ararat, where Noah's Ark came to rest. Alec announced on a chilly, clear morning as he referred to the map he was studying. Really? That's amazing, I said as I handed Alec his second mug of tea. I marvelled at God's ongoing revelation of his story. Well, today's another milestone, as we'll be crossing into Iran. That'll be our 23rd country we've visited in eight months. Alec reported as he folded the map to be in the right place for me to navigate that day. Our first port of call was the nearby Ishak Pasha Palace, a great example of Ottoman architecture built in the 18th century, high up in the craggy mountains. We explored the striking edifice and climbed the minaret within its high walls. From there we looked out across the vast expanse of grassy plains to the range of mountains on the opposite side. Below was Dogubayasit, the last town on the eastern flank of Turkey. Later on at the border control, the formalities of the passport and customs officials were dealt with expediently. We drove the short distance to the Iranian border police post and had our passport stamped. After a further two miles, we arrived at the customs station. One always felt a little jittery when going through border controls, and we had heard that the Iranian border was very hot on drugs. Not that we were carrying any, but you do hear wild stories of drugs being planted on your vehicle without your knowing, and we were not looking for any trouble. We queued along with many other trucks and cars, all waiting for vehicle documentation. An hour later, we were still queuing and waiting patiently. The customs officials must have gone off for their lunch, so we had ours too. Afterwards, we walked across and looked at a glass cabinet, where the items on display had been used to hide drugs. A gas cylinder, portable toilet, table, mirror and the sole of a boot. These custom officials were genuinely serious in their search for any concealed merchandise. Surprisingly, when the officials returned, they processed our documents in double-quick time. We drove out of there sharpish, but steadily, not to attract undue attention, especially as we had had no search, not even a casual glance at our vehicle and its contents. As always, when we drove along, I tried to note anything that was different to what we had previously seen. For starters, here we found that fuel sold at 34 pence a gallon. Now that was a bargain. We could do with more of that. There were petrol stations everywhere, along with an increase of vehicles and even double-decker buses. Although there were still many horse and carts used for transport. Not everyone drove with safety in mind, as we saw from the number of wrecked cars and lorries alongside the good tarmac roads. Money was being invested in the towns and many new buildings were going up, 
orderly neat surrounds with pavements for pedestrians, manicured lawns, colourful flower beds, and pools with fountains to delight the eye. The countryside was varied with distant dry barren hills, then scrubby grasslands where herds of camels and flocks of sheep grazed. The shepherd boys did not badger us for anything. In fact, they were totally disinterested in us, which was a welcome change. Where possible, the land was farmed and crops flourished. Vivid yellow sunflowers stood tall with their heads tracking the sun in adoration. On our third day of driving in Iran, we arrived at the capital, Tehran, and made a beeline to the post office. Sad to find not even one letter from home. As we explored the city, we came across the Sepasala Mosque, an extravagantly embellished building with colourful floral and geometric tiles on the gateway, inner courtyard walls and adorning the summer mosque. The caretaker took us around the winter mosque, a fine marble room decorated with onyx and alabaster. Crystal chandeliers hung from the ceiling. We also visited several palaces the Royal Mosque and the Archaeological Museum, all ticked off on our must-see list of tourist attractions. Out on the bustling streets, we came across a store selling freshly pressed drinks, apple, pear, orange, melon and carrot. Unfortunately, non-filtered water was used in the process, so we resisted the temptation to buy. Although when in a city, we would search out the overlanders' campsite, we were unaware of one in Tehran at that time, so for our first night we parked behind the post office under the shade of trees. We had seen a lot of police around guarding various buildings, but nobody disturbed us. On the second day in the city, after a morning of sightseeing, we had lunch in the Land Rover, a thick tomato soup with pasta, followed by a fruit loaf and a cup of tea. Afterwards I read and Alex slept. Several policemen checked out our Land Rover during the afternoon and at six one of them told us to move on. I think we had inadvertently parked opposite the police headquarters. We drove to the northern part of the city and parked in a back street, then went on walkabout before returning to prepare supper in the Land Rover. Later on a police motorcyclist stopped by and peered into our window but he didn't say anything and so we stayed there for the night. It proved to be a noisy location and we slept poorly. The following day was a Saturday. I cleared away the breakfast things whilst Alec went to the bank for cash before we drove to the Afghanistan embassy. A strange place, full of hippies. There we discovered that we could obtain our visa at Mashhad, the last major town we would drive through in Iran en route to Afghanistan. Our next call in Tehran was at the Iraqi embassy. It was one crazy drive along the one-way streets with traffic galore and no one taking any notice of pedestrian crossings, traffic lights or signs. At the Iraqi embassy we were informed that we'd have to wait two months for a visa to be granted. We left empty-handed as we were unable to remain in Iran for that length of time. I had read and seen photographs of the Marsh Arabs of southern Iraq who lived in large arched houses made from plaited reeds on man-made islands in the wetlands. I was keen to see that fascinating culture and Alec also would have liked to explore the ruins of Babylon, but it was not to be.
We returned to the main post office, but there were still no letters for us. Pop to the tyre street. Yes, a whole street of shops selling tyres, where we purchased a new one for £34. All errands done, we were grateful to leave the city of Tehran with its tangibly oppressive atmosphere. But we were in for a treat. The best scenery since our arrival in Iran lay ahead as we drove northeast through the Elbers Mountains. The lower brown hills were watched over by the snow-capped mountain of Damavand at 18,963 feet high. Down below, the road was a deep, narrow valley with lush green trees growing by a fast-flowing river. We stopped in the hills at a lay-by and enjoyed a refreshing lunch, cold tomatoes with unleavened bread, followed by delicious watermelon. A shepherd came by, dressed in a pinstripe suit and desert boots. His sheep and goats were clambering on the hillside far below. In the afternoon, we continued our drive in the mountain range, through many tunnels, even a few that appeared carved out of snow. We made camp early by the river, and I put my barber skills into action and cut Alex's hair. I wrote in the diary to record the day's antics, as was my daily habit. It was a romantic evening, sitting out eating our supper of rice and sauce, kept warm by the burning brushwood that Alec had gathered nearby. No visitors. Yippee! We overslept until seven in the morning, but we both felt well rested. We drove on to Amol, where the new tyre was fitted to the spare wheel. Notably, smelly open drains ran alongside the town roads. Lads came by wanting to swap their coins for English ones, not that we had many of those at that point. We continued on to the Caspian Sea, thinking we might take a swim, but were put off by the murky water and rubbish on the beach. The air was very hot and clammy, and we were only comfortable when driving along, feeling the rush of air calling us through the open windows. On the coastal road, there were many villas being built. At Beboza Holiday Resort, we saw a couple of restaurants, a hotel, an attractive promenade with trees, flowers and palm-leafed plants. We checked out one jolly shop, selling plastic woven mats, grass mats, blow-up plastic balls, swimming rings, flip-flops, etc. Everything that one might need for fun by the sea. We stopped to chat with five English guys, medical students travelling in their Volkswagen van, in the opposite direction to us. They were returning to England following a two-month study in the Kashmir Valley in northern India, tracking the blood pressure readings of the local people. We exchanged travel news and they forewarned us concerning the Afghan border where the officials searched everything. Our journey continued on eastwards, where the landscape was very green with much farming. We saw cotton and tobacco crops growing. Water buffalo and pack horses became a common sight. I was pleased to see that the country women's faces were uncovered, unlike the fully shrouded women of Tehran and the surrounding towns. These hard-working women of the land wore colourful dresses and had their babies strapped to their backs with cloth, just like the African mothers. A few women were doing laundry and washing their kitchen pans in a stream. We drove through a green forested gorge that was a national park. We hoped to find somewhere to stay for the night, 
that parking was only allowed in marked areas and for some reason these were gated off. Driving on through a tunnel, we passed a sign saying, Bon voyage, so we figured we had left the park. Unfortunately, time had moved on to evening and darkness made our search for a campsite very tricky. Eventually, we decided on a suitable place and settled in for the night. At nine, just as we were about to eat dinner, the police stopped by and informed us that we were in an unsafe location known for armed bandits. So after our meal, we journeyed on until we found a petrol station and parked in a clearing nearby. It was ten o'clock. The following day, we noticed that the terrain was back to dry and barren, with stubbles of brown grass dried by the hot sun with temperatures in the 90s. We drove to Shahabad, where we refuelled, then continued on through the Kui Aldi hills and saw flocks of sheep and goats grazing. In the distance, nomads rode their saddled camels along a trail. The odd village was here and there, with an occasional strip of green, where a vineyard flourished on the hillside. The owner's children sold bunches of grapes and apples alongside the road. At the town of Bojnud, it was time to stretch our legs and buy some supplies. Displayed for sale on the pavement were goat heads and lumps of white greasy fat. One lady was walking along with skeins of natural wool in one hand and a pair of sheep's lungs with a windpipe dangling from the other. We tasted the cheese on display at an open stall then bought a melon and some apples. The route continued on good tarmac roads. It must have been holiday season for the Iranians, as we passed many full cars with loaded roof racks and some folks were camping along the roadside. As we approached the major town of Mashhad, we decided to stop for the night near to the hospital and a military camp. Unfortunately, Alec was up for most of the night, suffering with diarrhoea. The smell was atrocious. Not that he could help that at all. Whilst I'd been in and out of sleep, he'd moaned and groaned as he sat on the chemical toilet in the corner of the Land Rover. So awkward to use at night when the bed was in position as you couldn't lower your feet. The situation became so bad that I finally had to get up and fold the bottom half of the bed to make it easier for Alec to cope. I gave him plenty of water and added a dash of salt and a couple of spoonfuls of sugar to keep him hydrated, plus a dose of Lomator tablets to stop the diarrhoea. What do you think caused your tummy bug, Alec? I inquired at breakfast time. Maybe it was that cheese we tasted yesterday. There were a lot of flies buzzing around the stall. How are you feeling now? Not too bad. Eating this dry bread is helping, and having a sweet morning cuppa. Will you be able to drive? I think so. I'll just have to take it steady. We had the windows and the back door wide open to allow plenty of fresh air to blow through the inside and were thankful that the toilet chamber chemicals had neutralised the offensive stink. Fortunately, with the worst of Alex's tummy bug over, we were soon packed up and on our way into the centre of Mashhad, a clean new city with many roundabouts displaying various statues and monuments in the middle and neat flower beds enhanced the scene. First, we had to locate the tourist office to pick up a local map and find the whereabouts of the Afghanistan embassy. The receptionist at the Hyatt Hotel gave us some directions, but we were still at a loss. 
Whilst waiting at the traffic lights, a local car drew alongside and the driver asked where we were going and offered to lead the way to the tourist office. He was a clever chap, as he hoped we'd then go with him to see the local carpets for sale. In fact, we had a dozen or more guys stop us as we walked or drove along the streets in Mashhad, hoping we would be interested in viewing carpets. Alas, we disappointed them all. The tourist office gave us the information we needed and we made our way to the embassy of Afghanistan. There we filled in the visa application and handed over our passports, plus 14 American dollars. They were very particular that the dollar bills were pristine, with no damage in any way. As we walked back to the Land Rover, we bumped into an English truck driver who told us the whereabouts of the travellers' campsite. He and his mates worked for a British firm transporting steel from Mashhad to Kandahar in Afghanistan and regularly used the camp. On arrival, we found it to be surprisingly posh, with large brown tents in place and 16 brick chalets. It boasted a swimming pool, clean showers, flush toilets and hot water. One pound each per night if we used our own accommodation. That afternoon, Alec went back into town to collect our passports from the Afghanistan embassy, grateful for the quick service. He also bought bread, eggs and a can of engine oil for the Land Rover. The bread was a large, broad sheet of wafer-thin, crispy dough with a puffy, uneven surface. I popped all the air bubbles to remove any tiny trapped pebbles, for it had been cooked on a bed of hot stones. As I washed our grubby clothes and the bed linen, I spoke to an Irish fella who'd just graduated university with a degree in architecture. He'd left Northern Ireland at the beginning of July and had cycled to Mashhad on his way to Australia. We met several other overlanders during the afternoon from Denmark, Sweden and Austria. Later, Alec changed yet another broken leaf spring and swapped the wheels around to balance the wear. Several truck drivers came by and exchanged travel adventures and news of the route. The next day, the chores continued. I finished the pile of washing, checked the contents of the roof box and polished our shoes. Alec cleaned and serviced the petrol cooker, washed the Land Rover, replaced the dud bulb in the left rear brake light and emptied the toilet. By noon, everything was fine and dandy, so we left the campsite. We went first to the city centre to see the Imam Reza Holy Shrine, a magnificent mosque with a circle of lawns all surrounded by a wall. There were hundreds of pilgrims in and around the building. As the mosque officials recognised us as infidels, we were only allowed so near. Then we called in at the post office, popped to the bank, disappointed a few more carpet salesmen and drove way out of town to camp for the night on a gravel hill. Fortunately, our only late-night caller was a fox trotting by on a midnight hunt. Total distance driven, 24,540 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, Presented by Explore More.
Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.